This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Mead. Hi, Mead. How are you? Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So I can't wait to hear your story. Um, I would love if you could just take us sort of back to the beginning for you, like your first drink. Where did, where did alcohol sneak into the picture? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so I grew up, I had a very normalish childhood. Um, I grew up at the beach and um, I would say that part of um, the beach life is everybody kind of works hard during the week and on the weekends, we get away to the beach and um, unwind. So from a very early age, we spent a lot of time on the weekends at the beach. Um, you know, my parents with a cooler full of Miller Lite, uh, relaxing and unwinding and us kids running around and playing. And it was a, you know, a wonderful way to grow up um, looking back. Um, and, you know, my, uh, my household growing up, um, I mean, it was very normal. I had a older brother and my parents were, um, I would say it was a little tense in my house. Um, I'm not sure they were very happily married and it definitely, I was a um, natural born feeler. I felt things very deeply. And so from a young age, like a natural empath. Um, so from a young age, I really learned that my heavy emotions and my feelings kind of weren't going to cut it in an already kind of tense house. Um, I had a, I had a friend when I was little that when I was five and she had spina bifida and I would go to her house for play dates. And I just remember so vividly wanting so badly to play with her walker to literally feel what it felt like to kind of walk in her shoes. Um, so part of my story really, um, revolves around this natural feelingness that I have, um, and, you know, growing up in that tense house, I, I learned that it was something that wasn't going to cut it. Um, so, I, I, you know, I was sent to my room a lot when I was crying and nobody knew why. And um, so I, I developed this ability to figure, you know, I figured out that the way to make it was to lighten, lighten the mood and, um, you know, enter a room and figure out what everybody needed and to be light and easygoing and funny. Um, there was a car trip that we took every, every summer down to Georgia and it was, it was tense. And I remember making a joke and it was one of those early memories of, oh, uh, you know, I got my whole family to kind of, the mood was so much lighter because I made a joke and everybody laughed. And it was one of those like early feelings for me of, I've just kind of, you know, won some hard subjects over. Um, and that theme kind of continued throughout my life. Fast forward to um, high school, I was a very social child. My brother was gifted academically and athletic athletically. And so my social um, became my kind of route, if you will. And um, I tried alcohol in my early teens. I don't really remember exactly when, and I didn't like it. It was, it was awful. It was hard to swallow. It was, it tasted awful. Um, but Shortly thereafter, going, you know, going to the beach by the day with my, with my friends and taking wine coolers, um, then, you know, heading home to shower and head back out for, you know, the party, 
wherever it was, I, I quickly learned the, the magic ability, if you will, of, you know, how alcohol could allow me to be what other people needed me to be, which was again, light and funny. And it gave me a sense of, you know, being able to maybe fit in. Um, so it, it, it was something that though I didn't like it at first, I was like, Ooh, this, this could work. Of course, all of this was subconscious, you know, going on, but, um, and looking back, it's, it's very easy to see how it kind of all threaded together. Um, but I was, you know, I was a good kid. I, you know, I had, I made good grades. I was, um, I ended up you know, senior class president at one point and, um, gave a speech and, and developed that again, that, um, reinforcing that wooing kind of winning others over personality. Um, so that, that continued on into, um, to college. I went away to a, a, um, a big school and, um, people say, Oh, you know, you went to a party school and like, aren't they kind of all, I mean, you know, all of them kind of are right. Um, and so that's where, you know, the drinking all this time to even through high school, uh, the drinking never looked any different than anybody else. It wasn't anything crazy. It's just what we all did. Um, it was the same into college. I joined a sorority. There were plenty of, you know, opportunities for social events and they all, you know, revolved around drinking, going out to get drunk. I mean, that was kind of our, our mission, um, in those days. So right around the, uh, you know, the fall of 2000 was when kind of a tough season came up. Um, my parents were getting divorced. My, uh, my grandfather had just lost his battle to melanoma and my mom was diagnosed with leukemia all within like a six month span of time. Wow. I'd just been, I had been, I'd just been, uh, so, you know, so gone are the, the fun, light, easy days, right? Um, just kind of floating through life as party need, but, um, I was the president of my story at, at the time as well. And it, it just ended up being just too much all at one time. And it was my first known, I, I quickly, I was living in the sorority house at the time. And as the president, you got a room. I mean, it was tiny. It was like the size of a closet, but you got your own room where all the other girls, you know, shared four or five, you know, there were four other rooms and four or five girls per room. So I was in this, you know, room by myself and surrounded by people, but it was definitely one of those times where I had, you know, despite being around so many people all the time, I mean, I felt very alone and, you know, a lot was going on. So it was my first known time of really using alcohol and, um, and food to kind of numb, numb that experience and escape all that was kind of going on behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I gained 30 pounds. I, you know, in like a month, um, I got a one, one that semester GPA. It was not a good, it was not a good time. Um, I definitely developed some unhealthy relationships, but fast forward to, um, ending up with an amazing therapist who kind of pulled me out of that time and, and really, you know, um, helped me not feel so alone and helped me process what I was feeling. And that was the first time I think too, that I really was able to understand what I was feeling and that it was okay to have feelings. Um, I mean, having said that, like, I have to preface this with too, like my parents are lovely people and, you know, they did the best they could and, um, you know, no hard feelings whatsoever, but it's interesting to see how like our childhoods 
kind of our perception can shape who yeah. we become and how we, you know, operate in life. Um, so anyway, great therapist made it through that. My drinking continued, but it was much, it was, you know, more normalish again, like back to being the same as, as all of my, um, my friends, um, ended up graduating with, you know, honors and kind of turned it all around. And this is definitely one of those times that I would look back on later and, and say, okay, you know, I definitely was using alcohol as a numbing agent then, but I was able to pull it together. So I, you know, I can't have a problem, you know, I can't have a problem. I was able to kind of come out of that. If I had a true problem, if I was an alcoholic, then I wouldn't have been able to pull myself out of that. Right. So um, moving on beyond college, I got my dream job in pharmaceutical sales right away and the, the winning other people over really continued. It was the most amazing job. I loved it. I had all these, you know, social opportunities and um, the culture was work hard and play hard. And, you know, we had national sales meetings in Vegas and I used to think it really was some, you know, I, I, I used to think, why did they keep throwing all of this, you know, free alcohol at us and then expect us to get up the next morning so early and then work hard. And like, I wonder if it's some kind of test, like, can we hang and hang? I did. I mean, I, I, you know, I can be what you need me to be. So I was able to, to accomplish hanging with, I mean, the good old boys club, but you know, the group that needed to be able to be seen at the, at the, parties and whatnot, and then still get up the next morning and, and do my job. Um, at this time, I moved back to the beach. Um, and again, that kind of like beach lifestyle where, I mean, we, if you're at the beach, like day drinking was a thing before it was, you know, before it was a thing, it was a thing because we lived at the beach. So um, if you were at the beach, it was okay to have a beer or whatever, any time of day. And so living there definitely kind of, um, I can see now how that kind of conditioned my belief that alcohol was part of, you know, a necessary part of relaxation. Um, but anyway, sidebar there. Um, I met my husband at a beach party and we spent those pre-kid days, you know, partying. I mean, that's what we, that's what we did. That's what everybody did. Um, and then we moved to Atlanta. Um, he took a job in Atlanta um, and we were starting a family. And this was a time that I also, starting a family, I had a little, you know, we had trouble starting a family and I had to um, refrain from drinking in order to get pregnant. And that, there was never a hesitation or a, is this gonna be hard? It was just what I had to do. And, um, and again, another time that I would cite in life that okay, well, I mean, I was able to give it up for that. And I was able to give it up, you know, subsequently for all of all three of my pregnancies without any issue um, or temptation. Um, so my drinking looked very, very normal. Once I had had the first two babies came and um, I, be, I became a kind of accidental stay at home mom at this, since we moved to Atlanta, I had to quit my job or my husband's job to move. And, um, since we were struggling to get pregnant, start family, it just kind of all, I became an accidental stay-at-home mom. And this was, you know, the beginning for me of, okay, I need social, um, you know, 
where do I fit, where do I fit in, where, where do I belong? And so I joined some mom's groups and that was my first experience with like the mommy wine culture and what that was. Um, you know, we would have these morning play dates where whoever was hosting would serve the coffee to take us up, you know, get us through the day. Like let's, we can do this ladies. We can, you know, mom so hard today because we've got our coffee and our, you know, going and, and the afternoons even too, you, we would have coffee at play dates. But then, you know, sometime after 4.30 or 5, if we were having an evening playdate, it turned into wine spritzers um, as the, the beverage of choice. So we would drink our coffee to get us through the day and then get our wine to, you know, bring us down at night. Um, I'll say, too, a lot of those wine spritzer playdates were, you know, minus the spritzer. At a certain point, it was kind of who even needs the spritzer? Let's just have the wine. Um, but this is a time too where I also was very in control of all the things. And I was, I was very aware of the fact that um, I never wanted to you know, put, my, put my children in a, in a position where I was driving after drinking or so I, you know, it's, it's one of those times where I felt like I definitely had control over it. Although there was this, you know, this rub just kind of starting, just really starting to brew where it didn't really quite align with what I, you know, what my goals and what my intentions were for being a, being a mom. Um, but more on that later. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was kind of the social, you know, world um, that I was in then. Um, if my husband and I would go out, you know, for a, a date night, or if we ever got away for a weekend, um, we definitely had those times where we overdid it and we would come home from those weekends away and almost need another break. It's like, you know, that old saying, like we don't get out much. And then, so we get out and then we would over, we would overdo it. And, and so that was adding to kind of that tension that was starting to kind of like, oh, I don't know, like it's not, the wine's not really serving me and, but I have control over it. So we're good. Um, Fast forward to a couple, you know, more tough seasons. Um, we uh, almost lost one of uh, my middle child has a, a heart condition and, and we almost lost him one at one point and the stress of his illness and dealing with that. I think that was a time that I had to be on guard and I was able to kind of really prioritize, okay, like, this isn't, this is getting in the way. So, you know, or could get in the way. So let me just push this aside and let me focus on what I really need to do here um, and keep him, you know, healthy and safe. Um, and then with baby number three, eventually that was another tough season um, where the same kind of thing, where my drinking, I, wine got in the way of me being able to make sure that they had, you know, what they needed. And so it was, again, another time I could look back and be like, well, I kind of, you know, I was able to push it aside and, and, you know, I didn't need it then. And especially those were some really tough seasons. Um, not unlike the tough season that I had in college. And when I did use alcohol to numb, um, and that was also one of those times where I'm like, well, look at me, see, I'm not using this. It was a time that I could have, and I didn't um, use alcohol to get through a tough time. But, um, eventually we, 
we were in an area where um, we had some social opportunities, but it, we, anyway, we didn't have a neighborhood where the kids could run and play and, and do all that. So we decided to move further out. And we ended up in this great neighborhood where it's just a bunch of kids, the same age as my kids, a bunch of you know, people the same age as us. Um, and the social opportunities just came and came and came and everything involved, you know, alcohol. It, it was, it, at this point, it, it was becoming such commonplace to have it, um, even at, you know, church functions and not on, on site, but even church get togethers and Easter egg hunts and whatever the social gathering was, um, alcohol was just always part of that. Um, and we're both very social people and, you know, I, I, I fell kind of back into that old party need mode and, um, and I really kind of liked having, you know, this, it was exciting that I had this kind of social life again that I, you know, thought served me so well before. Um, but, but, but shortly thereafter, I mean, it, it wasn't long before it became something where that internal tension that was kind of starting way back was really starting to accelerate where, you know, there were the, the mornings that I would wake up not feeling great and then I'd be snippy and irritable, you know, with my kids the whole next day. And I, you know, and I hated, I hated those days. Um, there were the, um, you know, the evenings that, you know, I, we stayed out too late or kept the kids out too late. Um, and then there was the guilt and the shame that came, you know, came along with that. Um, but all this time, our, you know, our drinking, my drinking, it still didn't look anything. It didn't look different to anything to, to anybody else's. And I mean, I didn't even know anybody who didn't drink really. Um, you know, I'd heard about like friends of my parents, like growing up that, were you know so-called alcoholics you know a few people here and there those are the only people I'd ever heard of who didn't drink it's just it's just this world we live in where it's just a part of all these occasions and um it's just there um so there was one night where um my four-year-old um I went in to kiss her like I normally did every night and she stopped me and she was like, Ooh, mom, your breath stinks. And she mm -hmm. said, it smells like wine. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And it was, it was one of my, like my first reaction was, wait a minute, did, did my four year old just call me out for drinking? And, and then it was ouch, you know, like she doesn't want me to kiss her because I smell, and she could very clearly identify what that smell was. And that was a moment for me that I think, you know, in the, in the, when I was being, when I had time to process it and I was being really honest, like that was, that hurt. Um, and it was just further, it just further fed into that tension that I was feeling that like, I, you know, I wanted to be present with my children and I, I wanted to be, a, you know, a good mom and spend time with them. But um, I was feeling this kind of just pull maybe that my values weren't quite aligned. I, I valued relationships with my children and my husband, but this was just something that was becoming, you know, just starting to kind of get in the way. Um, 
right around this time, my youngest went to school full-time down here in Georgia. They have a Georgia pre-K and so they start school full-time. And um, I very soon after, very soon after she started school, I decided that this would be the perfect time for me to resume my pharmaceutical sales career. And, you know, in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, I was completely just trying to avoid the, the panic of now being alone and not being needed during the day. My kids are off at school all day. Um, I mean, we did have obviously financial goals and the plan was for me to always go back to work. Um, but it was a very like kind of knee jerk reaction to, oh, she's in school all day. Nobody needs me. I need to be needed. Let's jump right back in. Um, and I had these grand visions of what it was back in my 20s, right out of college when I was, you know, meeting all these people. I'm such a people person. I'm so others focused that I was excited. And it was, you know, very quickly, I realized that, you know, my expectation of this amazing experience that it was going to be, um, it, 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 it was, you know, it wasn't that transition from stay-at-home mom to full-time working mom was brutal. Um, the company I worked for had some unrealistic expectations of what we, um, you know, of what we should be doing. Um, me being the people pleaser that I'd always kind of been, which, you know, I used to, I used to kind of claim as a strength that I'm a people pleaser, so hire me. Um, and that people pleasing, you know, I continued to kind of kill myself in the job to look good in the job and get the sales and do that, but definitely at the expense of my, my family. Um, you know, at, at this, at this point in my life, I had, um, it just discovered the Enneagram. That was something that was introduced to me and it was something that kind of launched uh, an intense personal growth journey where I was kind of looking at my type, I'm, I'm a type two. Um, that is very telling, yep. Yeah, doesn't that fit? Lots of people pleasing type two. Yeah. That's right, yeah, and that need to be needed and that feeling of if you're okay, then I'm okay, which all of that aligns so beautifully with being a mom, right? You know, the, the self-sacrifice and the doing for other people. And I think especially as a stay-at-home mom, it, it was a very easy um, kind of role to play. Um, one day, one of my one of my close girlfriends, she was like, um, you know, she asked me just kind of, on, she was like, who is Mead? And I was like, well, what do you, you know, what do you mean? And she's like, who, who is Mead? I'm like, um, well, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, a friend, a pharmaceutical sales rep. I, and she's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not saying like, those are your, you know, those are your roles. Those are your hats. Who are you? And I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to answer that question. And it was, it was definitely the start of this intense, you know, the Enneagram kind of helped me kind of see exactly how this all Played out for me and developed into um, the the life, you know, the personality that I was operating from behind all this time, and and that was that was hard to kind of like wake up and see, but this was when I was, you know, previous to previously, um, 
I would say I was definitely kind of just sleepwalking through life, doing what I needed to do as a mom to meet the needs of everybody and, um, you know, self-sacrifice and um, just go, 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 go in that hustle and caught up in that world. And this was, this was a time that I was kind of starting to see that um, slowing down and waking up and disrupting that just autopilot mode, um, although hard to do, it was, I mean, it was, it was amazing too. Um, and at this point, I still hadn't pieced together the, it didn't even dawn on me the role that alcohol could be playing with all of this because that inter internal tension I was feeling, it was, it was starting to, you know, grow. And um, it wasn't until, I guess, you know, I was in the job and I used to, I used to never drink during the week, very like health conscious Monday through Friday, you know, exercise and healthy eating and all this stuff. Um, and then on the weekends, it was a different story. And so there was some, you know, disjointedness there with feeling like I was kind of one thing during the week and then another thing on the weekends. Um, but um, my, when I went back to work, it was, it was definitely becoming this thing where through this, you know, self-awareness journey, I was becoming more intentional and more present and um, through a you know, deepened faith and prayer, I was, I was, you know, definitely up-leveling my life, if you will. Um, but only until five o'clock when I would get home and I would pour that glass of wine that I felt like I had earned. I felt like I deserved. Um, it was, you know, my reward for having performed all day. I felt like, you know, being in sales, it kind of ends up for me anyways, it ended up feeling like, um, at the time I was doing it when I was going through this self-awareness journey, which is, can be intense. I had days where I, you know, I, I didn't feel like being chipper or bubbly, but that doesn't really work in sales when you're not chipper and bubbly. Right. Uh, so I had to, um, kind of, you know, put on the shoes and dance and, and that started taking a toll on me and, and then, feeling like I wasn't meeting the expectations, even though my sales were good. I was, I really felt like, I mean, I was just sucking at being a mom. I was, you know, everything, I was just falling short of all the things. So wine became my reward at five o'clock every night. And that's when too, I felt this like, okay, I'm up leveling my life, but only until five o'clock and then I'm not present. And even though it was only a few glasses of wine, you know, every night. So again, another time that I would go, well, but it wasn't excessive. You know, it, it wasn't, I wasn't drinking bottles and bottles of wine every single night, but it was enough that I was, you know, having moments where I was rushing to get my kids to bed so that I could go back downstairs for a second glass, or I was skipping, I mean, bedtime with my kids was my like most favorite time as no matter what else happened during the day, no matter what else was thrown at us, we could all just, you know, snuggle up together in the evening and read and have that time and pray together. And there was nothing better than that time. And this was a time where I was choosing, um, 
you know, whine essentially over that, over that sacred time. And that's, that's when it, it finally kind of clued in, you know, I was finally clued into, okay, maybe this internal conflict wasn't so much about just not being awake and not being, you know, present as, as much as I want to be or not being authentically me. Maybe, the, maybe there's more to this, you know, maybe there's another piece here. And, and it, and it, it took, um, it took a while for me to really kind of admit that. And it wasn't until I, one day I just, I mean, I, I, at this point I started thinking about like, what is, what would life look like if I just got rid of alcohol? But that didn't even seem like, uh, you know, a possibility for me because, you know, what about my, my social world? How is that going to suffer? What about my relationships? Uh, you know, how is my, my church going to view me when they think, you know, or see that I have this drinking problem? Because at this point I'm thinking, if I want to become alcohol free, my only option, my only two options are AA and rehab, because that's what, I mean, that's what they do in the movies. It's, you know, someone has, uh, you know, they realize that they have a problem with drinking. And so then, you know, they go to AA or rehab therefore they're forced to go. They have a rough bottom and then they're really forced to go. Um, so I didn't, I couldn't even wrap my head around how this even would be a possibility for me to live a life in a, in a world where alcohol is everywhere and everybody drinks. And especially for someone that loves that that social belonging, like there's no way I can do this. So I sat with that for a while, very discouraged thinking, well, I'm just, you know, I can continue drinking somewhat miserably. Like, yeah, it's fun for a few minutes, right? Like, you know, the first 15 minutes, you feel like it's amazing. But after that, it's all, you know, it, it's not fun at all. There's nothing fun about it. Yeah. Um, especially when it starts to interfere with those things that you do love so much, like bedtime with the kids. So I felt very stuck and I thought that my only, you know, I could continue drinking miserably or I could, you know, try not, or I could quit drinking and try every single day trying not to drink, but be miserable doing so. So there was a point where I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be miserable either way, right? Like, those aren't, those aren't great options. Um, and this, this is when I, you know, out of desperation and out of just not having any, any idea what, what else I could do, but thinking there has to be a better way. I literally one day just got down on my knees and I started praying for a rock bottom. I thought, you know, a rock bottom that wouldn't hurt anybody but I thought that maybe that's the missing piece here that I, I haven't had a rock bottom, you know, and my drinking looks like everybody else's. So maybe I, maybe it needs to accelerate. Maybe I need to hit this rock bottom and then I'll be forced to one of, you know, AA or rehab or whatever the options are. And then I'll be free. And I'm so happy and pleased obviously, because, um, you know, I got something much better than a rock bottom. I found your book um, through a conversation with a neighbor. It was, oh gosh, it was so divine too. And 
And it's, it's one of those, you know, things that looks, seems like chance, a, a chance encounter, but you know that it definitely, uh, you know, this was meant to be, but um, a neighbor friend of mine, um, he and I have always talked about how, um, you know, alcohol interferes with our fitness goals, you know, both being big exercisers and that kind of, we'd always talked about how, gosh, it kind of stinks that like, you know, you feel so great on Friday, you feel fit and healthy and wonderful from the, you know, the week. And then Monday morning rolls around after the weekend and you feel gross and not healthy and not fit. And so we'd always talked about that. And he said, you know, I heard about this book. He said, it's called This Naked Mind. And he said, but, and I said, oh, well, tell me about it. He goes, I, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. He's like, but I heard about it. He said, but be careful because if you read it, you won't ever want to drink again. And I, and I kind of looked at him and I was like, isn't that the point? I mean, like I was so excited because I was like, yay, here is my better way. Here is the better way that I've been looking for. And I immediately downloaded it on Audible. I mean, literally within five minutes and listened, you know, to, to the very beginning with you and your vulnerability and your relatability straight from the beginning. It was, I mean, I have chills just thinking about how profound it was for me because it was the first time too that I felt like I really wasn't alone and you know for a girl who has spent her whole life being very social and being very others focused and always being around people um you know it's kind of crazy to think that I spent a majority of my life maybe feeling alone and then with the drinking it was something I felt very very alone in that you know, um, I didn't fit with the traditional idea of what a problem drinker was, and I wasn't a social drinker. Um, and it and it showed me how. I mean, there was a there was a point where I was kind of kind of angry at first because I felt like I'd been duped. You know, the the societal conditioning that alcohol isn't harmful and even sold to us in ways that it's even beneficial, mm -hmm. and. You know, thinking about that and 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 the conditioning that um, through nobody's fault. I mean, we, you know, my friends and family they don't know what they didn't know, and I didn't know what I didn't know. But um, learning the you know seeing the science and the research, which was so important to me as someone who you know very uh, I value the kind of the medical side of things too. Um, seeing that all come together, it truly was just that, um, I mean, it was, it was so amazing. It was amazing. And I held off reading that last chapter for, for a while because I was so afraid that, and I continued, like you said, like I continued drinking, you know, kept, kept going. And I think that was so, that permission to not, uh, no, uh, you know, immediately force this stop drinking thing, that permission that you give us in that book that was huge because it allowed me to find choice in this you know path for me and so I held off reading that last chapter because I was so afraid like what if it doesn't work on the others you know like what if I finish it and then it it doesn't work um but eventually it was just it was natural I, I finished it and I chose December 1st as my, you know, start of my alcohol-free alcohol journey. 
Um, I had one last hurrah the day before with my favorite wine. And the next day I woke up and I never looked back. I, it was, it was incredible. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it was just, it was amazing. So, and it's been amazing ever since. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Um, I loved when you were talking about like internal tension and that being, I was actually just this morning, I was being interviewed for Elle magazine and she asked me this question. It was where, what do you define a problem? Like, how do you define a problem with alcohol? And, and I, I said, you know what, you know, there's a lot of external people that can make a lot of external judgments on what's happening in somebody's life. But for me, I really would say that I would define it as a problem when you start to feel of two minds, when you start to feel that internal um, tension that where you both want to do more and less of something at the same time. And you get basically in a fight with yourself and you are at a place where you stop trusting yourself and you stop really believing yourself because you're not sure one day you feel one way, the next day you feel another way and you introduce this duality and this like lack of unity inside yourself. And for me, like that was the point of the problem. And interestingly, externally, it didn't look like a problem. And I think that people can go much further too, where externally it looks like a problem, but they haven't reached that point of duality where they're, they're just like, no, this is still good. Like I'm still fine. Everything's good, which, you know, maybe that's denial. I don't know. But um, I think that though is kind of the litmus test. If you're if you're in your own mind saying, you know, I both want to do more of and less of this at the same time, I'm not at peace with my decisions anymore. I think that is where it just really pays to pay attention to what's happening, you know, in your mind and in your heart. That, you know, and that is so true. And that, I think that was for my journey. I think that's why I had to have that intense kind of self-awareness part of it beforehand so that I could eventually listen to that and figure that piece out because there was a lot of time that I spent going, I'm so in control. I'm a, you know, I'm a smart, educated person. I'm so in control of all these things. I have this great life. Everything on the outside, um, you know, looks amazing and, and, and normal and fine, but there was just this internal rub, you know, for me, it just, it manifested in this, and it, it, it manifested in this kind of edge and this irritability that despite, you know, wanting to show up more presently and more intentionally, it, it was always kind of keeping me distracted and pulled. Um, and it's how you, you know, you talk about how after, you know, after you become alcohol free, you can experience that euphoria that come, you know, some people, I did. I, I mean, I have in my, my journal every, I mean, every from day one, and I, I kept saying in my journal too, you know, after each day, I'm like, I have this euphoria, surely it's not going to last. Like I'm, you know, I'm sure it's just temporary. You know, I was trying to like prepare myself for like, you know, that it wasn't, you know, the, like maybe the, the pink cloud syndrome that people had talked about. Um, and and, and then, you know, you were the one that pointed out for me um, that it's that euphoria comes from that decision that you've made finally. And that was, that was the biggest piece for me. It's like, I, I woke up on day one alcohol free and I'm like, 
like I can breathe for the first time because I I've, I've made my decision. I know that this is I know that this is the decision for me. I know that this is my my truth because it comes from me. I'm not relying on anybody else to tell me which also as a people pleaser, as a others focused person um, all my life, you know, that was some external validation was something that was big for me. So if I'm looking at what are the guidelines for, am I an alcoholic? Well, I don't really fit in that. So, okay, so I'll just keep going, but no, but there's something, but you're, you know, you have this feeling, the stuckness. I, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's been so amazing and it's, it's this work you're doing is so huge because I feel like there's so many of us that do exist in this, you know, like Jolene Park calls it the gray area drinking where you're not a social drinker and you're not an alcoholic. And that was one thing too, is even if I was an alcoholic, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to identify with the, I'm a, I'm a shame based person being a, a, a type two feeler as it is. I don't need something that's going to produce more shame and more, you know, um, so anyway, so this work that, that you're doing to kind of reveal this gray area drinking kind of experience when it's a problem for you, that's when it's a problem for you. And that's when you have options and you have choice and you have freedom on the other side of that choice. I think and peace and joy. And I mean, it's, it's been just, I mean, aside from the, and I had taken breaks, you know, I had done weight loss cleanses and I had done dry Januarys, but they were, you know, they were, I had removed alcohol temporarily, but I didn't remove my thinking about alcohol. So mm -hmm. I was still, you know, wanting it or missing it or thinking about when I could drink it again or when this cleanse is over. Or, so I was still distracted. I was still being pulled by it. It was still getting in the, in the way of what I valued, which was being, you know, fully present and forming deeper relationships with, you know, my family and with God and all the, so it, it definitely, um, eliminating the alcohol is one thing, but then eliminate, eliminating the, um, the thinking about it and the energy spent worrying about, did I eat enough today so that I am not going to feel miserable tomorrow when I have, you know, three glasses of wine or I go to the party and I, you know, have too much or um, that freedom from the mind is, is really what's been, what's been huge, huge. And it makes, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's, I mean, that's what has led me to this place where, oh gosh, it's, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And it's led me to, you know, my next right thing, which for me was turning. So my, um, when I was in pharmaceutical sales, uh, and I was miserably doing it, they laid off the entire sales force last fall. And so my plan was, um, come this January after get through the holidays and, and, and then January, I would look for another pharmaceutical sales job. And one popped up and I turned it down um, to join your coaches training with um, this Naked Mind Institute. And it just was, I mean, I, you know, I've never looked back. It's been amazing. So, so great. Oh, I love it. So one good thing to the next, to the next, to the next. What a powerful story. So, um, you know, as a type two and as a people pleaser, how have you found it socially? Have you gotten pressure? How have you navigated and dealt with it? 
It's crazy because I really feared, you know, um, not being able to maybe go to the social events and not, you know, and not still having the friend groups and all of that. And, you know, some relationships have changed, but I would say for the, for the better, um, in that we can kind of exist on a, on a deeper level now. Um, but I go to, you know, all the social functions still, and I'm just the one that's there not drinking. And at first it was a little strange. I think people were kind of like, Hmm, well, you know, what's up with this? Or is it gonna, is it gonna last? Um, but I, I, I don't have a temptation. There's no, there's no desire to drink. So I don't feel tempted. So I'm very confident in my, I can answer questions about it. If people want to ask, but I find most people really kind of after the first time they see you not drinking when you, you know, previously been drinking with them, they kind of get over it and move on. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, my idea of what an alcohol-free life would look like meant missing out on all those social opportunities or not being able, not wanting to go. And that hasn't changed. That's been, that's been really cool. Um, I just leave earlier now. <laughs> that's awesome. Which is great. Cause then I get my sleep and I get what I need, you know, which is, which is sleep and yeah. Yeah. Like very happily, peacefully leave earlier. That's just great. Well, this has been so awesome. So let me ask you the question that I always ask kind of at the end and um, congratulations on everything, especially becoming a coach. It's super exciting. It's been so great to get to know you throughout the program and brainstorm with you and all sorts of things. Um, but the question at the end is, you know, if you were going to go back and talk to yourself uh, when, you know, during the ups and downs and I'd say really when you were starting to feel a lot of that inner tension we were talking about. And by the way, just another word on the inner tension that you touched on that I think is worth repeating is that that inner tension works on both sides, right? So you can be drinking and not liking yourself for drinking, or you can be not drinking and you can be sad and feeling like you're missing out and not as happy and joyful in life because you're not drinking. And both cases of it, in my opinion, are problematic because both instances create that inner fighting which is not pleasant and um so there has to be kind of a third way of actually aligning what you want with your like what you want logically with your actual emotional desires which of course is the whole premise of this naked mind um but i think that on either side of it it is like maybe not equally as problematic because when you're not drinking you're hopefully not you know having some of the results of drinking in your life but it is still, I believe, problematic for a few reasons. Number one is because you still are fighting with yourself. You still don't, you aren't 100% comfortable in your own skin. And number two, because, you know, there's a lot of evidence to say that when you're hanging on like that, when you're not doing something that you really desire doing, you won't last all that long either because you just aren't aligned. You aren't fully on board. You, there's a big part of you that still wants to be drinking. And so when people do report that they've changed their desire to drink, then they come to this place where, yeah, like you said, social life becomes kind of a non-issue. People just let it go because they aren't just kind of thinking they're doing you a favor by letting you off the hook because they know you want to anyway. They're like, oh, she really doesn't want to. Okay, well, moving on, you know, sort of thing. So anyway. Yes. so true. So true. So what, what would you go back and tell yourself, Nita, about your life um, now, if you, if you could go back in time? Oh my gosh. Huh. How long do we have, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think the biggest thing I would say is 
um, you know, taking that pause and, you know, taking a break from the doing and just being will give you the answers a hundred out of a hundred times. Just, you know, worthiness is in just the being, love is in the being and, you know, all the rest of it, it's, it's, it's not, it's not worth the freedom and the joy and the peace and the, I mean, the life it's, it's this side of things is a, a place that I never thought, I never thought was possible. Um, and for a long time, I didn't even really know that I was even striving for, you know, it's like, let's survive motherhood. Let's just get through and let's just, it's the hustle of kind of just making it day by day. Um, but on this side, it is, it is so much more than just surviving. It is, it is everything that is, it's the ups and the downs and the beauty of all of that, because, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. I mean, yeah. And I think about like my wine, my wine cooler thing that has, you know, bottles of my favorite wine in it as we speak. And I walk by it a million times a day and I never, you know, I never thought it was something that, but yeah, just kind of changing that desire and aligning with what you, you know, what you do desire is, is, is everything. It's so great. I love it so much. Yay. Yay. Well, thank you so much. Thank this has been just so thank fun to get to thank know you. Thank you. Oh, it's just been awesome. Hi, super exciting news. So the alcohol experiment book is being released, actually got released just a few days ago with the expanded edition. What does expanded edition mean? It means that every single day throughout the book, there are deep reflective journal entries that have been added with space to write, which is so cool and so exciting. So you really make it your own. And the reason I did this is because I truly believe that the deepest wisdom you will access throughout the 30 days of the alcohol experiment comes from within you. You know more about what's best for you than anybody else in the entire world. And I know sometimes that can be hard to believe, but when you really access your own wisdom, it is so profound. So you can pick up your own copy at alcohol experiment book Dot com and check it out. It's really powerful. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.